Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese, and for this episode of If When, the topic of discussion is generative design. Joining me to share their insights and expertise are Christopher Gromick, Senior Product Manager, Advanced Development in the Office of the CTO at PTC, and Kelly Bryant, Deputy Section Manager, Mechanical Design, Drafting, and Manufacturing, with Jacobs on the JETS contract at NASA's Johnson Space Center. Well, thank you, Chris and Kelly, for joining me today. I'm looking forward to talking with both of you about generative design. Uh, I think it's a fascinating new technology and has a lot of potential and a lot of applications. And, you know, we're starting to see see it deployed in, in a quite a, a lot of interesting areas uh, from consumer products to, you know, built environments and whatnot. And so, Chris, I'd like to start with you, you know, for folks who may not be terribly familiar with what generative design is. Can you explain a little bit about this technology? Generative design is a software technology which combines geometry creation, multi-physics simulation, and artificial intelligence to produce optimum designs for physically informed problems. Now, I've read off that definition so many times that I almost forget how many buzzwords are stuck in there. So Mm -hmm. it might be easier for me to just kind of describe what it does. Mm -hmm. So with generative design, if you tell me what you want something to do, then I will give you the thing that does it best. So it kind of goes through like the different iterations of like how a thing can be achieved. And then you're able to pull out the optimum one. Now, let me ask you, Chris, how does generative design help mitigate potentially negative downstream ramifications in the design process? Well, In generative, when you're designing generatively, the downstream ramifications become the upstream inputs. There's an adage that someone told me uh, once, which goes a little like this. Mm -hmm. If you ask me to do a job, then the first question I should ask of you is, how are you going to grade me? Mm -hmm. All right. And it gets you in the process of thinking from the end result back upstream. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you're designing generatively, the first question you ask is, what do I want out of this? Okay. And then what, when you ask in that question is, well, what do other people want out of this? If I'm designing a part, for instance, it might be fine when it looks on the CAD screen, but it, the moment I pass it over to the machinist, mm-hmm. he or she might say, there's no way that I can reasonably produce this, mm-hmm. you know, at least not for less than $50,000, mm-hmm. you know? So if you build in some of these downstream constraints into the upstream generative model, then you're able to guarantee success from the start. Mm, Interesting. So Kelly, you know, at Jacobs, part of your role is uh, exploring the the use of emerging technology. And, uh, you know, so I wanted to ask you, you know, what initially excited you about the potential of generative design and what have you discovered along the way that has taken that excitement to the next level? I'm always curious about new design technologies and how they can be integrated into our design process. As mechanical designers, Mm -hmm. we kind of tend to look at past designs as tried and true examples. And if it worked for that previous project, it should work for this one. But a lot of times those might not be the best or the most efficient designs. And, you know, another thing is a lot of times we tend to make, you know, small incremental changes when maybe a radical design change is what's needed. Mm. And I saw the generative design technology as a tool that really would get us thinking differently 
about the design process. You know, we wouldn't necessarily have to think in terms of rectangular or cylindrical shapes when mm -hmm. we're designing parts. And then also when designers would try to come up with different design concepts, we didn't do a whole lot of them because it takes time. Right. And we all of our projects have time constraints. Mm -hmm. So now with the generative design tool, we can set up a design parameter and constraint. We can hit the go button. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we can go to lunch and come back. And like Chris said, then there's a lot of potential design solutions there. Mm -hmm. And they may not look anything like the previous designs. And so, you know, it just gives us a new way to look at things. As far as things that surprised me or got me really excited mm -hmm. is that we found doing the generative design process on some of our existing parts, we found that some features were unnecessary. Mm -hmm. um, like for, for example, one part, we found that there were a couple of fastening holes that weren't really necessary. Mm -hmm. And then on another assembly, you know, we found that, you know, one of four fasteners weren't really needed to meet the load constraints. So, you know, Hey, that's an unexpected weight reduction, cost mm -hmm. savings. And those are good things. You know, absolutely. Especially in the context of aerospace and, you know, when you're trying to like send things up in the, into outer space and to the moon and whatnot, you know, I can imagine weight and efficiency and all those kinds of things become critical, uh, you know, and so you want to reduce where you can. Now, Chris, you know, can you share with us some use cases of generative design, kind of riffing off what, uh, what Kelly was saying, you know, sure. where the, the technology has been particularly effective at reducing cost, eliminating waste, and, you know, improving time and efficiency? But when we're looking to, you know, start a company off onto, you know, this generative way of designing, mm -hmm. we've found that it is most impactful if you use it at either extreme of a parts life cycle, meaning right up at the very start when mm -hmm. you've still got a clean shade of paper or way at the very end when you're looking to replace this part with something else. Mm -hmm. All right. So for instance, mm -hmm. with the latter situation, we were working with the Volvo group on their super truck two program. All right. Mm -hmm. They were looking to overhaul the powertrain, take as much weight out of it. And especially right over the front axle. Okay. That's kind of where the, the pound uh, uh, per mass, you know, is really, well, it has the most compounding effect. All mm -hmm. right. So we searched around and there was this decade old front engine mount holding up this engine. It hadn't been touched in almost 12 years. All right. Now it did the job, but it was far too heavy uh, than it really needed to be. Mm -hmm. And what was so great about that is because it has been around for a while. It was fully validated. They knew exactly what it needed to do. They had analysis um, and the parts designed already. And we were really just one button uh, away from redesigning that part because you already knew everything you needed it to do. And in the end, we were able to take 75% of the weight out of it. So that was a huge savings. You can only wow. imagine what happens if they do that across the entire truck. Mm. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we were recently working with a, um, well, an engineering services firm who was bidding on a lunar habitat design project. Mm -hmm. And before Kelly jumps in, no, they were not competing against Jacob. <laughs> All right. So we're still uh, being friendly. Now, in that case, they had very strict requirements. All right. Across yeah. multiple physical domains. And what they were trying to do was just prove feasibility so that they could bid with more confidence mm -hmm. right? and using generative there on that very front end when still the requirements are negotiable. 
-hmm. right. But they're being asked for something very tough in a very short timeline. Mm -hmm. All right. They were able to use generative to get to a feasible solution very fast. And then they could place that bid with confidence and, you know, well, hopefully we'll see them win that contract. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So Kelly, can you tell us a little bit about the work that Jacobs is doing in partnership with PTC? You know, obviously, you know, we're talking about generative. And mm-hmm. so there's some things that we're exploring early on design products with, with generative mm-hmm. um, for our customer here at, at JSC. Mm-hmm. We're also looking at how we can use this process with some other NASA customers that may not necessarily be at JSC that mm-hmm. have heard that, you know, we're, we're looking at this generative product and how, you know, how can we help them design some of their products? Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, potential other Jacobs uh, design organizations that don't have anything at all to do with aerospace. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if there's some things that we can do with some other parts of Jacobs that, you know, may enlighten them on how they could use the, generative design tool to do whatever kind of design that they're doing. Hey, that Mm -hmm. would be great too. And, you know, we have other, other products that we use from PTC Mm -hmm. that aren't just the generative, but you know, the whole suite of design tools that Mm -hmm. that we're using. Yeah. And I think it's like something like this, like when you think about, you know, construction and engineering, I mean, they typically tend to be risk adverse industries because, you know, obviously a, a lot of times you're dealing with safety. And you don't want to you don't want to fool around with people's safety. You know, I just did a I had a discussion not too long ago on additive manufacturing, uh, and I see these as like complementary technologies. And Kelly, we're going to talk just a moment about complementary technologies. But you know, additive manufacturing where it's like printing on design, like three D three D printing and stuff. But you know, there's some caution there because you know, it's you want to go with what's tried and true and what's safe you know, particularly when you're dealing with, with things that might touch on safety, but I see something like generative design as enabling a, maybe a greater freedom to innovate because you can use the technology to really kind of explore materials, like their strength, how to best deploy them, you know, seek examples like from nature and whatnot, you know, things that, you know, are really strong that might not occur to us in our geometric thinking, but it's like, oh, well, if you made it more like it was a spider web as opposed to like a rectangle kind of thing, you know, you can use a lot far fewer materials, but it's still as strong as or more strong. And so it seems like something like generative design kind of liberates in some respects, you know, the engineer, the designer, the creator. So, you know, Kelly, at your, at Jacobs, you know, your role has you using a variety of digital tools in concert with generative design. So, you know, can share a little bit about complementary technologies that you see are particularly well adapted to work with generative design. One of the first ones that comes to my mind is the simulation products. Mm-hmm. You know, we can take the design, the resulting design out of generative. We can run a structural or a thermal analysis, you know, make sure that that assembly is going to meet the design specs. Mm-hmm. And then with like the simulation live product, you know, we get instant results to help us refine that part. And it's certainly a lot quicker than mm-hmm. to, to run a digital analysis than to build a physical prototype and then test it. And then especially if you want to run multiple iterations of a design, you know, mm-hmm. that takes a lot of time and money. 
Another technology is designed for manufacturability software. You know, this this product, you know, we can upload our our Creo design model. Mm-hmm. You know, we can quickly identify and eliminate, you know, any features that are either expensive or impossible to manufacture, like Chris had mentioned before, mm-hmm. you know, and if we can eliminate these manufacturing issues early in the design process, then we'll improve the profitability. We'll make a more robust design. Mm-hmm. You know, all that, all that stuff costs a lot more money downstream than it does upstream. And then also with generative design, you know, it can help you look at how you want to build that part, whether you want to build it with traditional manufacturing or additive manufacturing, mm-hmm. what materials do you want to try? You could, you know, set it up to run a whole bunch of different materials and then get your manufacturability analysis and, you know, make your decision from that. Mm-hmm. You've already mentioned additive manufacturing is a complementary technology, you know, and it's certainly been a big game changer. And I think every year it's just going to become more and more prevalent. Mm-hmm. You know, you think back at the beginning of rapid prototypes, they were expensive, they were fragile, mm-hmm. you know, they could help you kind of get the look and feel of the part but you couldn't really do anything with them. You know, mm-hmm. technology progressed. We started able to build assemblies with them. We used them for testing, you know, and now you can use additive manufactured parts for production. Mm-hmm. Um, NASA's even tested some 3D printed rocket engine parts. So, wow. you know, there's all kind of opportunities that you have have there. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the thing that ties all of these different technologies together is the the PLM system, you know, product lifecycle management. Mm-hmm. You know, you design your part, you save it to the PLM database. Everyone on your team has access to that single source of truth. You don't have to email the files. You don't have to share save them to a shared file system. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has early access to those things. And, you know, even your manufacturing team can look at the design earlier in the process and say, hey, you know, let me give you a little bit of feedback on that part and you know, maybe we can improve it. Mm. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. So Chris, where do you see generative design technology headed in the next several years? What's on the horizon? Well, that's a question that I think of a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, so I got a lot of ideas actually where we go. Mm-hmm. Um, first, and this is kind of the grand vision is that I, I see OEMs and service firms, uh, much like Jacob's, using generative to democratize their expertise mm-hmm. and make custom designs as easily as choosing your t-shirt size off of Amazon. I see the tools themselves expanding beyond just providing specs for the best new design for the job to determining the best you can possibly do with whatever parts you happen to have on hand. And, and lastly, this is maybe a personal hope, is that I see engineers using generative not only to solve problems more efficiently, but to think more clearly about the problems that they choose to solve. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And now Kelly, let's, let's, you know, kind of close our discussion today with discussing what this impact of this technology means on the role of the engineer, you know, kind of as Chris was alluding to, you know, how do you see this uh, kind of technology impacting the engineer and the design process? And what do you think it will mean for engineers now and in the future? I really believe that it'll allow the design engineer to have more freedom mm-hmm. to explore more design concepts and in a quicker fashion. 
It'll allow you to reduce your development time. It'll reduce your expenses. If you have more design options, you know, you're more likely to find the one that best suits your requirements. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I see is that I hope this technology can help young engineers produce better designs in fewer iterations. Mm. You know, the, the young engineer doesn't have a lot of design experience to look back on. Mm-hmm. And so with this technology, kind of like what Chris was alluding to, you can let the machine, you know, guide you in that design exploration and maybe instead of just two or three design options in your given time frame, maybe you can have 20 to choose from. Mm-hmm. And you can choose different materials, different manufacturing methods. And so you could easily see the cost differential of using aluminum or steel and, you know, additive versus traditional manufacturing processes. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities and it's it's pretty exciting. And for the the young design engineers, I, I think it'll be a, a big boon for them. It's mm, interesting. It's like a, it's having, I don't want to necessarily say the best teacher, but definitely like a world-class teacher guiding you along the way, because as you're, as it's feeding you optimized solutions, you know, materials, designs, whatnot, you're learning from that as well. You know, so it's changing how you're thinking, how you're approaching problem solving as an engineer. And, you know, because as in, you know, I'm sure older engineers, you know, they look back along their career on like what they have learned works along the way, you know, and this has the chance, I think, to exponentially change that because now it's like you just said, you know, you go from looking at two to three options to 20 options, you know, so it really kind of like broadens your horizons or at least has that potential. So, right. And, and I also see that there's a, a way that we could tie design rules mm-hmm. into this so that you know a, a, a young engineer that doesn't know all these specific rules like these screws can't be too close to the edge of the part and different things like that you tie those rules in with generative and it does all that stuff for you mm. well chris and kelly i want to thank you both so much for joining me today and sharing your insights on generative design uh, i think it's really fascinating i think we're going to see it's pr- fingerprints more and more on a lot of aspects of our life. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited as well to see how it's going to impact our, our lunar and Martian missions and, you know, the, the work that we do in the years ahead. So thank you both very much for sharing your time with me today. Thank, thank you, Paul. Paul.